Welcome to the State of the Markets podcast, episode 68. I'm Paul Rodriguez of thinktrading.com. I'm Tim Price of pricevaluepartners.com. And our very special guest is Tim Parker. He's the CEO at Messels Limited. He's an experienced technical analyst in the financial markets, an entrepreneur in independent research and alternative investments. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Good morning. Tim, so you're a technical analyst. Tell us about how you got into technicals as opposed to economics. Well, that's a good good question. Um, well, I suppose technical analysis for me was a shortcut route to trying to get a job in the financial markets. My academic background is English literature and um, a bit of army training, that sort of stuff. Uh, and I joined the old family firm of Messels uh, in, in 1984. Um, and I guess the idea for me was to find a way that I could add some value, or at least rather rather before adding value for clients, uh, understand a little bit of what was going on. And, and the, these boys who were drawing charts in the back room with a pencil and paper, I thought had something sort of rather guru-like, which I could do and didn't require too much economic um, academic background because I didn't have any of that. So going back to the 80s, so you're, you're like myself, one of the OGs in terms of technical analysis. Now, when I was learning technicals in the sort of late 80s, early 90s, there was a lot of discrimination against it. Whereas, you know, you're, you're saying that actually it was seen as this, this sort of powerful thing to do. But I came up against a lot of, of uh, you know, discrimination against it being witchcraft, black magic, all that sort of stuff, which, to be fair, they're still around today, but there's a much greater acceptance today than there ever, ever has been. But back in those days, it must have seemed like, you know, witch doctory. Well, it, indeed, it was guru in its purest form. I mean, these, I can't remember their names, so these two chaps at Messel sat in this tiny little cubbyhole with an enormous piece of graph paper and a sharp pencil drawing point-and-figure charts. And um, and they were coming up with some extraordinarily different views based on a couple of lines and, a, and some 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 crosses and dots and that sort of thing. And we thought, and I thought, crikey, that that seems to work, despite the fact um, that there's an awful lot of guff being talked about um, uh, the news flow and economic analysis, fundamental analysis, and the balance sheet and that, whatever it was that that, that was going on. Um, an awful lot of noise. And these guys, you know, they they would sit there in their cubby hole for a week come out with a couple of recommendations and then disappear into their cubbyhole. And a week later, they'll be absolutely right. And everybody else will be sort of flurrying around trying to, to, to make some sort of um, uh, fundamental case would be wrong. Um, and I thought that was, that was, that's interesting. But of course, you say they were, uh, they were anathema or, or at least uh, slightly ostracized in those days because it, it was a weird thing to do. Um, but over time, I, I, I think that the, the, the results have, been, have spoken for themselves. Trouble is, these days, a lot of the big banks and big brokers are getting rid of their technical analysts because, they're, A, they're rather expensive and everybody's cost-cutting um, because they, some of them have become, have become sort of rock stars. But, but, but equally, um, there is the thought that the independence of view that the technical analyst has to provide because it is, it's, it's, so, it's so black and white what you're being told by the price action um, that the, the sort of conflicted nature of the, the big banks and brokers don't like that too much, especially if, if the technical analyst says sell on something they're trying very hard to win the corporate business or the banking business on. Yes. So uh, sort of anti-internal conflict is actually a bit of a problem for the, 
the big banks. So you find a lot of the tech analysts gently being made redundant. redundant. Indeed. So so you went from, from that position to where, let's get up to speed to today. What what do you do today? Where's your, where do you sit? Well, I sit in a nice little farmyard office, in fact, a converted cow shed in southwest Surrey. Um, and uh, we, we do pan-European equities as our main focus um, of, of technical analysis. We do it in a very plain vanilla price and relative uh, um, sort of performance momentum and that sort of thing. And we, 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 we sort of deconstruct the markets and, and try and reconstruct a model portfolios in a way that we think will work. Um, and we've done that for 30 years, something like that. I mean, I mean well, we, we were in London. I've now come down here for the last 12 years. And it's a jolly nice life. But my goodness, it's, it's competitive and, and very tough. And we have a legacy list of some institutions who still think that we are have some reasonable things to say. Um, and uh, after MIFID II, we now um, slightly hedge that by doing a bit of compliance regulatory cover for other independent research providers, which is uh, a nice sort of um, shoring up of, of the balance sheet while we go through, you know, the next financial crisis and, you know, the, 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 the ructions in, in the regulatory framework and all that, all, all that's going on at the moment. You've mentioned the word financial crisis. Do you think let's get on to where you think the markets are going to go from where we are now. What, what's what's taking your fancy and what, uh, what's worrying you? Well, I mean, as a technical analyst, I suppose you can say things take your fancy because you go OMG at all the breakouts and breakdowns that happen and inflection points that are, that, that are reached and, and reacted to. And I guess, the you know, you, you see the European banking index, the SX70 or whatever it is, making... 50-year relative lows and about to break down in, in absolute terms in, in big time and all that sort of stuff. And it's terribly, terribly worrying, the whole thing. And I think the, in the financial professional market, everybody can see, I mean, you know, so Stephen last year very, very clearly enunciated or, or elucidated the, the issues of the, the, the euro and the debt problems and the geopolitical situation. And, and it's just all going to end in the most or not in an almighty tsunami of a storm or something you know i don't want to egg it but you know it's going to be quite difficult i suppose yeah my, i think my biggest and i don't really want to to sort of go into too much too much economic detail because um we we can box ourselves into a huge depression uh, i mean you know sort of emotionally but, but what i would what i would say is that the this might be a financial recession of mega proportion morphing into a political social uh, issue for, you know locally and globally but may economically may actually sort of be all you know we will have a hell of a gdp hit but it won't be the end of the world um and there will be some wonderful opportunities my meanwhile the news flow will be horrendous uh, people will be out of work um temporarily there will be social and political changes of an of, of, of gargantuan proportions as the elite and the establishment are remolded, um, and the consumer revolution comes through, and all that sort of stuff, and sustainability, blah blah blah. Um, so, I mean, it, this is fascinating, fascinating times, as the Chinese might say, even interesting. Tim, do you? Um, sorry, Paul. Do you um, do you follow Russell Napier? Uh, I, I do, yes. I'm, I'm meeting him in a couple of weeks' time, actually, in Edinburgh. Um, and, and but, I mean, he he's he's been extremely uh, prescient, I suppose. He was talking about this sort of thing several years ago that the deflationary 
effects of what of what's going on um, and the, 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 the serious consequences of the, of the money printing, the QE and the MMT to come and God knows what. Um, and he's absolutely right. And, and there's no doubt the authorities have lost control of the monetary system, as simple as that. And, and so, you know, the next few stages are going to be really, really interesting. Russell, of course, as an economic historian, um, uh, primarily in, his, uh, in, sort of in background, um, has a wonderfully um, lucid way of expressing self, but also backed up by, by, by great historical fact and historical precedent, uh, and then coloured with, with Bob Dylan um, lyrics that, that seem to sort of permeate his work, which I think is absolutely fantastic. The, uh, the reason I ask is because his latest essay, which is something called The Solid Ground, has just been published on his research site, which is called Eric, and we can provide a link uh, in the show notes. I'm just going to read briefly from, uh, from that note, which I read yesterday or the day before. Um, the price of the equity of the following major European banks is now lower than when global equity markets bottomed in January 2019. BBVA, Santander, Comets Bank, Danske, Nordea, ABN AMRO, KBC, Deutsche Bank, ING, Sociedad Generale, and Swedbank. Many others are very close to the January lows. And in many cases, the January 2019 lows were the lowest prices seen since the 1990s. The facts are that in the eurozone, bank balance sheets are contracting, key bank share prices are at all-time lows, while interest rates are negative across the yield curve in most countries. Dot, dot, dot. We are living through the failure of the largest monetary experiment the world has ever seen, the creation of a new currency for Europe. The consequences of the failure of that experiment, now evident in eurozone government bond yields, bodes a scale of economic disruption that is incredibly negative for eurozone corporate earnings and equity prices. Uh, discuss. <laughs> but apart from that, it's all fine. Apart from well, that, I was going to say, uh, yeah. what, are your, what are your plans for Christmas? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, I mean, the thing is, um, I mean, Sir Stephen last week in your podcast last week, uh, in, in amongst uh, his 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 wonderful uh, talking, was suggesting, um, you know, for for, for corporates. A thirty percent um, uh, exposure to gold. A thirty percent of shareholders' funds, um, you know, invested in gold on the balance sheet to 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 weather what's coming. And I think that's probably about right. And I think it's just about. It's almost as simple as that. God knows how this all plays out. It's going to be a whirlwind of 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 change. Um, but I rather think, like him, that those of us who who have balance sheets that might not be indebted. Uh, might have a little bit of cash which you convert into real money, let's say gold, um, and sit it out and and sort of try and puddle on doing what we're doing uh, and serve our clients and keep help them stay alive. Um, that's all we can do, you know, as 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 minute participants um, in, in what's happening. And, and um, so that's it. I mean, what more can one say? It's just, I guess, where, where, I, where I'm coming from is that it's all very well to sort of attempt to survive what, what may be to come at a personal or corporate level. But there's a wider issue here, which is, I think, one reason why I enjoy the podcast and the podcast community and, and social media as much as I do. It's one thing to acknowledge the problem. It's another thing to then to alert other people to the potential severity of that problem. And the, 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 the grave concern I have, and I'm trying desperately not to, to, to sound like I'm scaremongering. But the desperate concern I have and have had for at least 10 years is in the process of trying to shore up an unsustainable system, the central banks end up destroying the entire system. 
Oh yes, yes. I'm. I'm not uh, exactly. Uh, and uh, but don't forget the the system. So what is the system? The system is well. The financial system is essentially plumbing. That that that's you know the the, the biggest distortion that's happened is that financial services have uh, well prior to the 0708 crash had become and still are due to the the saving of the the, the big institutions. Um, the, the, the plumbing or the plumber has become the sort of the dominant um, force in in, in, in the, the ecosystem, when in fact they should be underground and quietly oiling the wheels. Um, and, and anyway, the plumbing is becoming backed up yet again. It's become the, the cesspit, if you like, is 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 overflowing, and the and the, the drains are backing up. And it's going to be an incredible overflow. It's going to be very stinky and very horrible. And I just, and of course, this time round, the bankers and hedge fund managers are going to personally are going to get it in the neck. They're going to become the new enemy. What was it that Franklin D. Roosevelt was said last time? You know, the, the depression. He was talk, talking about um, the money changers. You know, uh, woe betide what happens to the money changers. And 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 I rather think that there's going to be a backlash this time round because. Um, we, they, they, the money changes were rescued last time round. What for? Why? And what has been the result? Um, the taxpayer is not impressed. So, um, and by the way, there's nothing. You know, there's very little to, to rescue the system anyway. So, unfortunately, this will spill over into political, uh, some sort of political backlash. And I rather think, and, and, and if you talk about, so technically speaking, we always look, try and look for. Not for tipping points, that's too simplistic, but sort of signals uh, that, that congregate aggregate into, into a trend change. And one of the key ones, uh, from a, and I mentioned this one, socionomics, I think you come across that, but for, from a sort of mood and change point of view, one of the key moments that, I've, that, that, that emerged yesterday was Jeffrey Epstein's suicide. Um, you know, the, the, the sex trafficker and hedge fund manager. Tim, Tim are those some government black helicopters landing in your back garden? <laughs> black Hawk landing, I think, yes. Yes. Um, sorry, sorry I interrupted you on, on, on the, the sad demise. Anyway, I'm just, I'm, I'm waffling. Don't, don't, um, I'm, I'm sort of getting carried away. But I think, I think it's, I think these, we will look back at this moment and say, my goodness, there were some, I mean, a, 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 there were just, from a financial point of view, there's so many very, very obvious fires burning on the, on, on the, the, the horizon as it closes in. Very obvious. And Paul, you, you, you know, you, you've been alerting us to a couple of podcasts ago about whatever it may be, Russell 2000, small cap underperformance, you know, the, the, the gap between main market and, the, and all that sort of thing. Uh, lot, I mean, you could go on and on and on with 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 the number of things that don't look good uh, economically, fundamentally, technically, quantitative. It all it all looks it look, all looks messy. However, you know, I, I just I just think that human humans will get through this. And 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 and, and so we talk about Brexit. Brexit, I think, is a sideshow. I think we're over that now. I think it's done great things for for the UK. I voted Brexit simply on the basis that I felt the UK had lost confidence, and I thought there was a lot of flapping around with a lot of flim flam, and I didn't really understand what the flim flam was about. Um, and um, anyway, the, the, and with a military background, I guess you know you, you emotionally steer that way. Uh, as a young man, I'm conflating lots of things now. I'm sorry. Um, I, I think the point is that the um, 
this is going to be a, 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 a you know, Brexit is a sideshow and this is geopolitical. And on that basis, does China win or does the US win? And I think uh, my bet is that the US wins. Um, but anyway, that, that's that's so. So within what three sentences, we've gone from um, eurozone banks making fifty-year relative lows to the US winning the geopolitical or the real political politic sort of uh, game plan. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Sounds like you're moving away from the window there, uh, Tim. Are you, are you, just, are, you walk, are you walking around? <laughs> no, it's a creaking chair. Oh, right. oh okay. <laughs> I have one of those wonderful sort of, um, what, what, what's, what's that show, um, Master something or other, where you sit under the um, spotlight and you're questioned. Yes. Master um, Chef. Ma- Master Chef. Mastermind. Master Chef. No, Mastermind. Master, <laughs> Master Mind. Exactly. Exactly. Master Chef's for my, for my wife. That's something something different. But the Mastermind chair is, is, is in my office. I'm sitting on it and it creaks. Right. Well, just to circle back to you, you were saying we uh, we will get through this, we will do this, et cetera, et cetera. Let, let's just unpack this a little bit. Where, where, because, of course, we've got international listeners. So it, when you say here, it, you might be talking about the UK, you might be talking about Europe, you might be talking about the global markets. Which markets do you think will come under pressure? Which markets do you think will actually do well or perhaps resist it? If you if you had a choice of investing anywhere in the world to ride this out, where would that be? And what sort of time horizon do you think we're looking at for when this starts to unfold? Are we, are we seeing the triggers now or do you think it's something for next year? Okay, lots of questions there. So first of all, when do the signs turn into signals? Um, well, the signals are beginning to flash. Um, so, uh, and there's the, the, the time-honoured seasonality of, of September being the worst month, followed by October crashes, that sort of thing. I think that may well play out. And as Stephen was talking about last week, the coincidence with October the 31st Brexit Day, um, I, I think is, is meaningful. So, so the, I think this is brewing up um, and the technical signals must be, the shoes are dropping now. Um, that's the first thing. Which markets will be best? Which asset classes will be best? Well, I mean, like you, Tim, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an avid avoider of bonds. That doesn't necessarily mean credit. I think there will be some credit structures, funny enough, which will be fine. Some of the CLO things, the, the things that people thought were toxic uh, in 2007, 2008, actually some of them turned out to be as, as gold-plated as, as, as anything. Uh, and impairment turned out to be, you know, sort of one or two percent, almost negligible, and that sort of thing. So, so if you're if you're an aficionado, there are there are areas of credit that might be worth looking at. If you if you know anybody who knows knows about that, uh, I think uh, equities are fine still. Funnily enough, I think we've seen five five percent drawdowns, which we've had just just now. I think we've seen five percent drawdowns happen um, uh, many times over the last. 10 years, 15 years, each time it's the end of the world. This is another end of the world moment. Um, and for the moment, equities are intact. Um, and that's quite interesting because the, the cacophony uh, that's, that's, that's building in the financial market world uh, is, is rising. Um, and yet equity prices have pulled back um, to support in many cases, and they've not broken those levels. Uh, not to say that they're not going to set off in a downtrend, but the downtrend has not yet started, is really the point. So we've had the pullback. 
We've got up on the S&P, we've got up the, we've got up previous highs or prior highs. So there is resistance here. And who knows, this, this may be a lower high and we set off in a, into a mega, mega, mega downtrend. Um, but we haven't even made the, low, the first lower low yet. So, so, so no panic in equities. Geographically, where would I be? Well, I think this, this systemic problem uh, is certainly European. I think UK will be swallowed up in it. I think US will be swallowed up in it. I think um, that Asia has a better chance uh, if you're, if you're uh, in liquid markets. Um, so, you know, uh, Tim has mentioned small cap Japan. I agree that sort of thing, small cap Japan or India, uh, they're quietly getting on with it. Um, so if you're prepared to take um, even a 20% drawdown, um, sit tight and uh, a little bit of cash to, 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 to drip in on, on, on the panic. And um, if you're in there for five to 10 years, you'll be fine. Um, so equities, and don't forget the, the great distortion in the world is that bonds are now bought for capital, to, you know, capital appreciation. Equities are bought for income, which is a weird reversal of the normal order. Um, but the point is equities are still being bought and um, ironically being viewed as, as, as something or rather inadvertently being a, 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 a place of, of safety or, or, or some sort of the, the reach for yield sort of thing going on. I think people are reluctant to sell equities and, and um, we, we'll wait and see. But uh, technically, OK for the moment. Um, I think negative bond yields are, uh, again, a horrendous distortion. Um, and and um, I love the zero hedge quote from um, uh, my friend Nick Glyden at, at Redburn Partners. He's a he's, he's a very big technical analyst there. He he, he passed on a, a tweet of the week for, from his point of view, which was from Zero Hedge, which says, "Let's be honest about negative yielding bonds. They are pet rocks." I like that. Anyway, the, the point is, it's all it's all uh, very distorted. And I'd avoid all that. So, uh, to, to to circle back, as you say, Paul, um, yes, this is you know where where would you go? I think assets, equities, okay for the moment. No, no panic just yet. Uh, bonds wouldn't touch. Uh, gold, absolutely, um, loading up on it massively. I bought my my pension fund and bought that that in, um, when we had the breakout of. Through 1360 in, in US dollars on, on gold. That what was significant about that was technically, obviously, as you know, it was a five-year trading range which uh, finally broke to the upside. But it broke to the upside on very, very little um, headline panic or headline event. It, it just quite went, it sort of quietly broke out on, on big ETF buying um, by people, and, and gold's basically sniffing out the problem. Um, and it, it, it broke out, um, didn't pull back very much, dollar going up at the same time. So gold in dollars with dollar going with the dollar going up, um, and yet it's not pulling back in any significant way, is very, very meaningful. And as you know, in gold in most currencies is making all-time highs. And if you were lucky enough to have bought gold in sterling, you know, it's it, it, it's it's telling you that that, that um it's something as serious is going on. And that's not stopping. I really don't think that's stopping. And also silver but, silver had delayed, but then silver moved um, almost about a week, a week and a half or two weeks later. And that, yes. was, that was, for me, it was another piece of the puzzle going in. And it was it's very strong. Yeah. And, and the next piece of the puzzle will be gold mining stocks and shares, yeah. uh, which actually have been quite laggardly. 
Um, and the fast, it's rather like oil, where oil, oil uh, the commodity or WTI or Brent or whatever it is, will often lead oil stocks. And then sometimes the oil stocks lead to the commodity. And it's very difficult to tell which, which is which. But it, it, in gold, it doesn't really matter if you, if you believe that we're going to be testing all-time highs on, in dollars, which is still a long way to go. Um, and that whatever's going on in the world, it, it's it's you know it, 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 for gold is a complicated thing, but it but ultimately it's insurance um, and uh, very cyclical. But it, it, in the end, it's insurance and it's a five thousand year history and all that sort of thing. Um, I, I think that um, you know onwards and upwards and and the the gold mining shares. Once people realise that um, you know equities. Uh, can be tucked away for the long term. I think these these, these gold mining shares will, will go up. Very, well, the ones with reasonable balance sheets that are not going to get beaten up by debt, uh, which whether you know whether we have a deflationary bust or an inflationary bust, I think I think debt uh, and currency are going to be big problems. You mentioned some of the signals that uh, were flashing sort of red or, or amber at the beginning of the podcast. What what do you look out for? As warning signs. Um, well, I, I think it's it's interesting. You, 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 it, it, I don't think it's right to be fixed in what you look out for. Um, you've got to be adaptive. You've got to be holistic. You've got to spot the little fires as they, as they take hold on the horizon, and and try and make sense. You know, make the linkages, make the links, and say, well, does that mean that? And does that mean that? Is it is it is it a a momentum that's building? Into an economic problem, or a financial problem, or a market problem, or an asset class problem, whatever it is, or, or actually, is it, is it you know good news? Um, so it's not a fire burning. Maybe it's 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 something different. Um, but so so the so what am I looking for? Um, well, I'm not, not really looking for anything at the moment. Just being assailed by all the signals as they come in. I yes, mean, one after another. It, it, yeah, you know, but what are the what I'm saying is what are those signals? Are, like for, for for example, I'm looking at um, Italy. And it's breaking down. It doesn't look great. The bond market's also collapsing. Or have, the last couple of days, it's seen a big lurch to the downside, having had a quite a strong upward trend. Um, that, to me, is not a great sign for Italy. The banks are in trouble. Uh, the banking index is hitting new lows. So we look at the weaker banks. They're mo- more likely to be Club Med, you know, or Italy or in that sort of region. Um, that, that to me, is a, is a warning sign that's being topped off by currency movements and gold and silver. So putting all those together, that's 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 and the underperformance of the of the the mid cap, small cap stocks against the the majors. That's where I'm looking at it. I'm not saying that yeah, you should you, that you have to. Yeah, I'm not saying you have to. That has to be a fixed view because, of course, that can change. Yeah, no, and we, um, yeah, exactly. So but that, that, that's kind of what I'm looking at yeah, now. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Absolutely right. And, and then the, the, you know, but there, there are other little signals. Say, for example, that the, the Chinese renminbi, um, you know, breaking through that seven uh, uh, to the dollar level really important as renminbi weakens uh, and you just sort of catch your eye so things so, so that's hugely important for, yes. for, for lots of lots of reasons uh, technically it's a significant breakdown for the for, for the renminbi and what does that set off in terms of tariffs and retaliation and currency wars god knows but it certainly means that gold doesn't stop it certainly means and this is an interesting one so uh, the renminbi uh, against the uh, against bitcoin so Bitcoin, I mean, God knows how, I mean, I, I don't know much about it. 
Um, but uh, but um, intellectually, it's very interesting, um, and and there is that has sort of gold-like qualities to it in, in in terms of being out of the hands or so far out of the hands of the policymakers and all that. But um, there is a correlation between Bitcoin act, uh, action, price action, uh, and the Remimbi um, uh, price action, and that's quite. And you, you think, well, obviously, the Chinese local investor will be saying to himself, my currency is going through the floor. Where can I go? Either I buy gold or I buy Bitcoin. And by the way, Bitcoin is something is sort of up my street. I'm a tech, I'm technologically very, very astute, and this is what I'm going to do. And so that sort of thing is interesting. And so, so mind you, not that I think Bitcoin is necessarily going to the moon, because I think it's a bit of a range at the moment. It might be a bit of resistance around 13,000. But anyway, the, the, that sort of thing is interesting. You see the Austrian... 100-year bond price up 70, 60, 70% year-to-date, yielding only 75 basis points, uh, and that price going parabolic to the upside. What else have we got? Lots of things. Gold, um, uh, market cap of all negative yielding bonds with the gold price, a correlation there, you know, which is which maybe some sort of causation. Interesting. Uh, I'm just flicking through some charts here, which, which are interesting. Um, the and then you look at Chinese equities, not you know, the Hang Seng China Enterprises (HSEI), um, which is eight shares in Hong Kong, um, and uh, these are not making new lows. Um, correlated also to Chinese steel prices. So China, um, you know, lots of negative news and, and and worries about the banking system there too. And, and gosh, it will. It's going. It's going. It's going to struggle. But actually, equities not broken, and one wonders whether there might be some support there. Um, and, and actually, the Eurostox index itself, the Eurostox 50, uh, which is the basket of the top, as you know, top 50, um, I think by market cap, uh, equities in in uh, in the eurozone, not not um, not not the Europe as a whole, but the eurozone, uh, worst months, uh, as we know, August and September. Um, but, and, and so, you know, volatility to, in the next couple of months, but actually, you know, not broken, that there is some moving average support, there's some lateral support from prior basis, that sort of thing. Um, so that's, that's, that's a signal the other way, which is, which is maybe the equities are sort of all right. Um, I don't know, I mean, you know, where does one look? I mean, um, I suppose you could look at other things like uh, bond spreads, how the junk bonds doing. Um, we, we talk about sovereign bonds, but but to corporate corporate junk bonds are um, not necessarily signal signaling recession. Um, so here I am arguing against my own thesis, but um, uh, I think the I think the monetary policy moves are are so horrendous with these with these bond yields and, and currency moves um, that. Um, that's the problem. It's, it's not equities and it's not corporate bonds necessarily. So here's a question for you, Tim. If you were unfortunate or stupid enough to be made um, head of the Bank of England or the US Federal Reserve, what, apart from instantaneously submitting your resignation, would you actually do? Well, I think I would disband the 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 uh, the bank before before submitting my re- resignation. Um, but what? Well, so the. At this stage, I mean that's a bit of facetious, but I think I think at this stage, um, these boys have completely lost it, um, and they are being politicised like mad. 
So um, what does, um, you know, Mr. Powell do? Uh, what does Mr. Carney do? Um, well, Mr. Carney has been politicized forever and he, he, he's got, a, he's got a, his own agenda, which is, which is um, a very skewed, um, as we know. And so, so, but what would I do now? Or, oh God, what, I mean, what, would I do? what do I know? But um, I think I just, I think um, I th it's almost as if they've got to stop and say mea culpa some, somewhere along the line. I mean, they can't do it, but they have got to say, actually, boys, this, or girls and boys, this is what's happening. Um, we, we were pushing on a string, um, and um, there's, there's, there's very little we can do now, apart from to say, let's try, and, I mean, they, they, I don't know, what, what can they do? I really do think it's, it, it, it's a political, it's, it's almost like just saying, sorry, game over, we're, we're shutting up shop, uh, over, over, over to the leaders, the political leaders, um, to rethink this, <laughs> you know, I, I really I, because what they'll be doing now is they will be trying desperately to keep smiles on people's faces, um, to keep their jobs, um, and to um, uh, smooth smooth the troubled waters as the as the waters as the swell begins to to um, to build up. Um, they will fail. But unfortunately, by the time they failed, it just it would have got worse. So, and and we've now got to the stage where that swell is turning into it really is turning into a, a tidal wave or a tsunami, and they know that very well. Um, so what we'll see is desperation measures accelerate, and that's dangerous. What they should say they should say this is beginning to get very nasty. We abdicate, but they can't do that because you know, after all, it's their pensions. If they, you know, and their pensions are probably invested in gold. On the subject of gold, Tim Price, um, you've obviously got gold already. Are you tempted to buy more here or buy more silver, or are you just going to be sitting on your current holdings? Um, it's a good question. I, I probably own more PA than, I, than we do on behalf of our clients. But um, I mean, basically, I already own so much gold, I can barely walk in a straight line as it is. So uh, <laughs> probably, probably would be, be hard pressed to buy much more. Um, I think the, the reality is, I, I, we, we know as investors, we've, we've sat with gold through the, the good times and the bad times. So we were accumulating gold long before. Going back as discretionary managers long before 2007, 2008, we've been buying been buying gold and mining concerns since the early 2000s. Um, and then that, that, in a sense, shows you the nature of the problem, because we kind of anticipated some of the issues, but some of these issues have, t have been a long time coming. Mm. So if you look at, I mean, I, this is why I think the politics of the, of the moment is so fascinating that you have, I would, I would argue that what we're now seeing, and we've discussed this on previous podcasts, but what we're, what we're now seeing in the geopolitical sphere is basically the ripples or maybe something bigger than ripples coming ashore from political decisions that were taken in 2008. Yes. Namely, the bailouts, the bailouts, the banks, completely gratuitous squandering of taxpayer money to bail out bankster crony capitalists. And it's taken 10 years for those for the sort of the for the significance of those decisions to finally kind of get a wider hearing in the in the body politic, if you like. So we've been in the meantime we've been gently sort of accumulating gold, silver, gold and silver miners for clients. 
but it's you know that, that that's given us for the last six years or so that's given us a massive um headwind um but we we kept the faith and now clearly it's starting to move back in back in our favor again but uh i i feel now that the it, the, the the weird thing about gold is um when it starts to work you really wish it wasn't really you know? right because it's like right, a hedge right. against because, everything well it because it's a hedge against the bot armageddon so yes. when when everything is really starting to work for gold it's a it's a deeply un, unsettling environment right right so yeah so it, in a sense gold is kind of the portfolio insurance you you you, you wished never really you had to draw on but but you have to draw on anyway so I suppose, yeah, I, I, right now, given the news flow, given the, the geopolitics, given particularly, I think Tim's absolutely right to to focus on the negative yields, the, the, the mass insanity that's going on in the bond market right now. Um, all of those, I think, basically add up to the conclusion you cannot own enough gold now. If you thought you had a lot before, you can always have some more. Extrapolating from where we are and where we could conceivably be. And I asked the question to Tim of, you know, what, what would you do? It's, it's a very unfair question because I don't know what the answer would be. If I was in the unfortunate position of being a central banker anywhere in the world, I'm not sure what my answer would be. Um, but I, I just have this, this, this dreadful fear that if these guys aren't careful and they're not careful and they're not intelligent, I don't think they're principled either, they are, they are already losing control of the system. But if they're not careful, they're going to lose control of the global currency markets as well. And that's when all bets are off, And which is why you can certainly not own enough gold in that environment. If the marginal investor on the periphery suddenly starts saying, you know what, I'm kind of tired of these fucking games that these guys are playing, which is just mass impoverishment. I want my assets in it. I want to have my my capital uh, in, in the form of some hard asset. I'm not going to bugger about in dollars versus sterling versus euro versus yen versus yuan i'm going to own gold because you know what you can't print it the reason why i ask the question is because it often feels like when when it's not moving or when gold was going sideways or down you feel like why have i got this you know why didn't i just invest in in the stock market or put more money in japanese stocks or whatever it might be but when it's going up you can often feel like you just why haven't i bought more of it and sure. it seems like you've managed to balance your emotions on both sides of that, where you don't you don't get tempted to buy more um, just for the sake of of oh it's it all looks like it's it's happening now. You've you've got a kind of a strategy that's already in place. And it's not necessarily reactive to any part of it going right or wrong, as it sure. As so it the the guy I would give credit to for the the uh, for the, the sort of diversified approach is Harry Brown. So Harry Brown back in the seventies coined this thing called the permanent portfolio. And the permanent portfolio, which is very much a product of its time, namely the inflationary 70s, uh, is basically a portfolio that's equally split between cash, bonds, stocks, and gold. The problem with the permanent portfolio approach now is that cash yields nothing and so do bonds. So half of the permanent portfolio now basically is no longer fit for purpose. It doesn't detract from the half that is, which is in, say, stocks and gold. But half it's now called the question. So what, what, what we've effectively done as a business is say, OK, well, let's, let's slightly revise this. What asset classes still make sense? So value equity for us is the equity portion. Gold and silver and gold and silver miners can be the real assets proportion. Um, cash doesn't really work. It's only, it only is relevant to a source of liquidity, but it's certainly not an invest, investment asset. So in, instead, we, for the third, the third leg of our, the third pillar, of our approach is, is trend following, which is which is momentum, which is uh, systematic, uh, technical, if you want to call it that. Yeah, and the, quite right. the, the, and the systematic trend following plus the gold is your portfolio insurance now. 
So whether it's whether it's a trend following fund, which to be fair, these funds have not done particularly well over the last few years, but neither have they been disastrous either. They've just been subpar. But we've had periods whereby trend followers have been out of favor in the past, and they've always come good. The, 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 the point about this whole thing is you want assets that are uncorrelated against each other. There is no point having a portfolio if all the assets are correlated. So the, the big problem with the whole 60-40 equity bond portfolio is there are going to be periods, and we may be about to enter one of them, um, where actually both asset classes don't work. And so if, if equity markets or certain equity markets are really overpriced, and all virtually all bond markets are overpriced, if and when both of those asset markets go, go into decline, well, a 60-40 portfolio all of a sudden doesn't look terribly clever anymore. Mm. Whereas we, we've got a reasonable suspicion that trend followers will work as an uncorrelated asset class. They did in 2008. And we've got a reasonable supposition that gold, silver, et cetera, et cetera, will also work tolerably well, especially in an environment of monetary uh, depreciation and, and massive global monetary experimentation, which is destined to end badly. And it's, I think we can see that it's starting to already so, end badly so, now. So, Tim, the question is, how does it end? And, and what is the nature of that badness, if you like, and how does it end? And to my mind, reading what I can, um, it's, it, you know, deflation is, and Russell Napier would support this view that, that, that it's a deflationary bust to begin with. And my view is it's rather like the left-right punch of a boxer. Um, uh, it's, the, it's, it's, it's the jab with the left hand, which is the, the deflation, followed by the, the right hook, which is hyperinflation. That would, that would, be, exactly my, that would be exactly my call. I mean, I, I, I'm not um, rash or overconfident enough to think that that's certain to happen, but that certainly might, would be my base case. So in other words... But it's not, it's not too difficult to extrapolate now, given what, what um, is happening to currents. Albert Edwards of SockGen was part of an ri original permabed team of three people, but that team has now been scattered to the four winds. Albert Edwards is now the, rem the, the sole remaining practitioner of the sort of permabed team at SockGen. But Albert Edwards said several years ago, when we have the next iteration of QE, you'll hear the roar of the printing presses from Mars. And I think I, I would like anyone anywhere in the world to refute that logic because it seems to me to be a virtually a done deal the central bankers have so colossally fucked up everything that the only way out which is perceived to be a way out is yet more of what brought us into this mess which is qe qe to infinity and nerp or zerp to infinity and at a certain point the whole system goes bang so we we are left with saying sort of things like um so we have gold what are the risks to gold? Well, firstly, it's quite cyclical from time to time. We, we saw the run up into you know, 2011, that sort of thing, followed up to 19000 sorry, $1,900 on, on, in dollars and then back down again. And obviously, it has a 5,000-year history of, 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 of value preservation. But the risks are now looking at gold twofold. And this is where it gets, it gets rather absurd. Firstly, or does it? Firstly, it's confiscation. Yep. So if you, yeah. if you stash a whole lot of gold under your mattress, what happens next? I mean, you know, in terms of from from, from the political, from the politicos or the, 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 the authorities. And then secondly, you know, does a meteor land on Earth with 76 trillion tons of gold? You know, <laughs> yeah, we talked about it. Yeah. You start, you start, you start well, thinking along those lines, which which are absolutely absurd thought processes. But well, I, 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 I mean, forget, but, I mean, yeah, you can't be thinking market. that because if the, if if um if if a meteor hit the Earth with 
that amount of gold, you'd have a problem about it affecting the atmosphere more than it would be about the amount of gold that it's dropped. In, in, in yeah, the, 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 atmos- the atmosphere would definitely change. People would definitely call to a further a further gold price appreciation scenario. People would be very skeptical. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I think to, to, to Tim's point about appropriation is absolutely right. But yeah. then you're getting into a kind of different realm because then you're getting into a realm of quite explicitly – the, the state is going after your money. So what can you do to prevent that? But that's effectively, a, that's a change in law. And yes. the moment you go down into that rabbit hole, then kind of all bets are off. That's a bit like saying, well, now I view my gold, the gold I own, PA, A, as a hedge, and B, as artillery. I view it as shrapnel. I will, well, I will, but, I will start throwing is, it at the people. But the point is, trying to, trying to nick it from me. Yeah, but the but, point, Oh, yeah, Executive <laughs> Order 6102 of 1933, or whenever it was, when it was made illegal. So... It, 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 that's a, a rather dark uh, precedent. But in which case, that's fine, because then you go, OK, well, in addition to gold and silver as physical assets, you also own the mining stocks as well. And that's your next level of protection. And if, the, and, if the and, large, and, and if the large caps don't work because they're insufficiently exciting, then you also go down to the small caps as well. So it's purely a function of risk appetite. Yeah, so it may be a dark rabbit hole. Um, but 1933, 1933 and 2019 are, you know, not miles apart <clears throat> in terms of historical. You know, you think of Smoot, Hawley and Tariff, yeah. you know, you think of uh, crashes and all sorts of things and, and what happened thereafter. So let's let's not. I mean, I, I think we have to we, we mustn't just dismiss this as dark rabbit holes. I certainly the meteor, God knows. But I mean, obviously, but but uh, anyway. So then the next thing is Bitcoin. And the, the, the problem with Bitcoin is probably, in my view, is probably twofold uh, uh, technology aside, um, is, is firstly the lack of history. So, so gold has 5,000 years plus. Uh, Bitcoin has 20 to 30 years max. And so for whatever else, uh, we don't have the data on, on how, it, how it performs. Um, and um, uh, secondly, again, uh, regulation and appropriation. You can call it appropriation, confiscation, whatever you like. As soon as Trump says, or whoever it is says, right, Bitcoin, no longer, thank you very much, goodbye, um, then you've got the whole of the US not investing. Maybe the Chinese do the same thing, uh, and, and Bitcoin <clears throat> then languishes, and other technologies come along. And, and, and well, as we know, there are how many digital currencies? A thousand or something. Something else takes over, but it, it, it it's a tricky, tricky, tricky place, and not one that I particularly well understand. Um, but it is still very much in people. I know it's in the millennial millennials' minds as they as they deal with their hundred pound savings. What are they going to do? Um, and and Bitcoin is easy to 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 play with. What I think is interesting about the cryptocurrencies right now is that you are seeing this kind of divergence between Bitcoin and literally all the other cryptocurrencies. So Bitcoin looks reasonably bullish at the moment. I mean, it's, it's struggled over the past you know, few weeks, but it's had a fantastic run. But if you actually look at the charts of Ether, Ripple, Litecoin, um, Stellar, um, Neo, they don't look good. They don't look good at all. They look they look very negative. So there's some, something wrong with that picture there. One, and what technically it would be suggested that bitcoin is the itself is is the outlier because if everything else is going down and one is going up then it's usually the one that's going up that's wrong as a, and it will fall into line that way so well, yeah maybe maybe but then you look at the internet um you know facebook was right 
Um, and there were lots of other players like MySpace and so on who just disappeared out and without no, trades. I don't think that's the same. That's not that's not the same thing. Um, anyway, not, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really want to get into to, to crypto, so I don't simply don't understand it. No, just, it's not a question yeah. of understanding them individually. No. It's understa- just understanding them technically. Technically, they, that's the picture. You know, it, oh yeah, it, the, the the trend there is Bitcoin is looking very interesting. But I what I think is. It's an interesting um, point that you're, you're both making about gold and how it's it's actually gone up without many people really talking about it. But the whole subject of cryptocurrency has done something for the millennials in the sense that it's actually made people think about what money is. And Tim's made yes. this point a few times. And, and so therefore, it kind of goes full circle. I'm, I'm going to explain this in a slightly different way. I know this might sound like a strange argument, but if you're a, a long time ago, I bought a Marshall amp, and that was in the 1987. Now Marshall hey, amp, fantastic, yeah. yeah. Deuce. So yeah. I've got a JCM 800, which is like basically ACDC's um, weapon of choice. Fantastic amp, and <laughs> and the only trouble is you cannot play this thing because if you put it under to a level greater than two, it blows your ears off. So it's kind of like useless. You can only use it if you're going to be playing live somewhere. So if, any, if, if anyone if anyone cares, NASA is reporting a huge surge in testosterone levels throughout North London now. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so roll forward to 2005, and you end up the technology comes along where I can buy a little box that has virtually every single amp that you want that costs thousands of pounds or dollars or whatever each in this box that has been modeled electronically, which sounds virtually identical, which I can play at any level, change out anything I want, and it's all in this little box. So now I have virtually every single amp that's ever existed that's worth having and i put it in that box and i can have it so what do you think would happen to the the value of all those amps that that are suddenly in these boxes you think they'd go down you think that people would suddenly go well i'm never buying a real amp again i'm not going to buy why would i bother when i can buy this virtual amp but something strange happens and it's something that i observed within the music industry People want real life. They want something that they can touch, something they can feel. And eventually, it draws attention back to that original amp and that that real thing. And so after a little lull in sales of proper valve amps, which is or tube amps if you're American, yeah. um, it brings back the desire for a good old proper tube amp that's cranked in a room as opposed to one that's modelled. Now, this this is what happened in the music industry where we all consumed music through our iPods and now our iPhones or Android phones or whatever it might be. But that doesn't explain why everybody wants vinyl now. I mean, we understand it because we come from an era of listening to a record, sitting down while looking at the reading the lyrics and looking at the artwork and the, the pleasure that you get from placing a record and owning it physically against just downloading it and then putting it on a computer and losing it and then having to buy it again because you can't remember where it is. You know, that that physical thing of being able to give it to somebody else as a present, which you can't do if you've got a digital copy. And this is why I think it, the argument comes from 
Bitcoin being used as a currency comes back to gold because it's gold that it's supposed to be replicating. So people will then start to think, well, hang on a minute. Why am I using Bitcoin? Apart from the fact that it's a fantastic payment method, i.e. you can send money using Bitcoin, you can't send money using gold. That is a fantastic advantage if you've got a banking crisis, which is why I think it's important to, to have knowledge of it. But it draws attention back to the mother load, as it were. It comes back to gold. That's what it was originally intending to replace or replicate but why not have the original thing? Why not go back to the original thing? And I think that penny will start to drop with more and more people. And that's why it's such an interesting, cryptocurrency is interesting because of gold. It makes gold more interesting, not less. I think it's interesting that gold um, is uh, overbought uh, on many me me measures, including some of the ratios. Uh, and yet the participation uh, rate, in other words, how, how widely it is owned, uh, is hardly even started. Uh, and, and that I think I think I think is interesting. I think the, when the big move happens and the retail uh, um, customer comes in from all over the world, my goodness, there'll be no stopping it. But anyway, I think have we talked enough about gold? Do you think? Because I think um, you can never you can never talk enough about gold, Tim. <laughs> well, certainly my wife would agree. Yes. So you wanted to talk about politics. Well, I, I, I think it's, I, I mean, Brexit is, is it, locally speaking, is very much on people's minds for obvious reasons. It's been a, it's been a drag on, on everything, particularly economic um, activity and animal spirits now for three years. Um, I, I, I think, you know, in our own world, um, I, I think it's a good thing that the institutions of democracy in this country are working it through. Uh, whatever people say about paralysis, whatever they say about um, the, the, the problems of diverging views and, and splintering main parties and all that sort of thing, the fact is parliamentary democracy is working it out. It's taking a long time. It's causing pain. But my goodness, we're getting there. And that's really good news. Whether you're a Remainer or a Brexiteer, the fact is we're getting some clarity now. There will something will happen on the thirty first of October, and we'll be something. You know, we'll we'll get on with it, and and that's basically what all the people around here, my uh, friends who are local sheep farmers or whatever they are, you know, they're supposed to be in the crosshairs of all this, but all they want to do is get on with it, and they're very happy. Whatever happens, they just want clarity so they could, they know what to do next. So I think that's that's really interesting locally speaking. Uh, I think more importantly for the world in general. Um, is um, uh, uh, the, the fact that um, we must look at this from a Machiavellian point of view, which is that uh, Europe, um, with or without the UK, has um, got to identify who its enemy is. And Europe's primary enemy... Christine Lagarde. Uh, well, it, don't, don't get me on to that. And, and, and the crony, you talk about crony capitalists, what about all crony bankers and so on? What about the, uh, anyway, no, I'm not going to get down that line, but um, the, the, the voting of each other in extraordinary. Um, the, 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 the primary enemy for Europe is, is not um, China. It is not Putin. Uh, in fact, it is the Islamic world. And by that, and that's not a religious comment at all. It's simply to say that Islam uh, is a political system as well as a religious system because they because the Islamic world has not separated church and state, which is the great thing that Henry VIII did for our country and for, for most of the Western world in <clears throat> a long time ago. Um, they haven't they haven't managed to achieve that yet. So what we have is a is a demographic 
uh, situation where, the, where Africa will be 4.5 billion people by 2060, uh, Europe will be 450 million. So you've got, that's the African weight of population wants to come to Europe for economic betterment. Uh, you've got the Middle East, we know about the Middle East um, coming this way. Uh, and so on, and and they and and look at Turkey. They 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 are they don't like the West, not surprisingly, because America will insist on bombing bombing countries one by one, whether it's Iraq, Syria, Libya, doesn't matter. Uh, America comes along and beats the shit out of them, and you think, and not surprisingly, they're they're not, they're not particularly happy about that. What they what they're really so so to to step back one stage, the primary enemy for Europe is the demographic pressure of these people wanting a better life uh, and also um, politically not particularly pleased about us. Um, and that's from Africa, it's from the Middle East and, 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 and so on. Um, the secondary enemy for, for, for uh, Europe is Putin um, and, uh, and Russia. And so uh, from a Machiavellian point of view, Europe should be making friends with Russia. Um, and, and cozying up to him, not keep prodding the Russian bear and irritating the shit out of him, he should actually be making friends with him. That's, that's Europe. America's primary enemy is not the Islamic world because America has um, a wonderful seaboards on either side of its continent, uh, well protected. Uh, its, its, its physical border is actually uh, obviously with Mexico. Um, and look what's happening there. So so the, the primary enemy, enemy for, for America is not the Islamic world, it's China, as we, as we well know. China's and, and America's secondary enemy, enemy um, is, is probably the Islamic world, but um, effectively the primary enemy is the one you need to know best and you need to get to know. Uh, China's uh, one big problem is that it's a bureaucratic state, a one-party state, and politically it cannot do anything but succeed. Because as soon as it stops succeeding, um, there is no mechanism for adjustment apart from collapse of the system. And Xi Jinping has already um, presented himself as being uh, president for life. He cannot go back. The communist system can only politically go on being successful, which means in its own terms, using the capitalist economic system to make money, to give it the, the, the financial muscle and military muscle to expand uh, globally through trade, the Belt and Road, and then go and defend those interests uh, using military power, whether it's Europe, Africa, wherever it is, it's, it, it's, it, it, wants to, it wants to do that and it will come uh, if it's allowed to. So China doesn't have a primary enemy, it just has its own, its own enemy, which is its, its, itself. Um, so, so, so that's sort of, sort of the, the, I guess, the broad picture. Um, so for, for the UK, well, I mean, Boris Johnson cozying up to Trump is probably a smart move, whether it's a Chilean copy, who really knows, uh, except that um, if this does break, if the tariffs, as they did in the 1930s, if the tariff um, uh, uh, wars turn into shooting wars or, or some sort of aggressive, more, more uh, uh, life-losing sort of situation, um, then it's probably be better to be on America's side for the time being. They still have the, the, the greater power. They still have a democratic uh, institutional system. Um, and uh, there was, you know, whether, whether Trump, I mean, for, for whatever Trump may be, accountability is still there. In China, they've, they've got a time constraint. They have to get on with it. 
uh, if they want to, it, well, they have a long-term view on everything, but um, uh, I think short-term, they've got, as everybody has, we've got a huge financial problem coming, um, and that's going to lead to disruption internally for them. Don't forget that inner problem is their internal border on uh, the landlocked side of the country um, is and the western the western regions of of China are, are where you're beginning to see some sort of um, problem. You're seeing it in Hong Kong too. Um, so anyway, long and the short of it is, think of your primary enemy. Who is it? Get to know them very well. Don't bother with your secondary enemy. Make friends with them. And what Europe does not, and what a lot of people in this country don't get, is that our primary enemy uh, is the demographic um, sort of tectonic plate. Of the, of the Islamic world moving its way this way. And our answer should not be to fight, uh, but to be a bit more cunning strategically and to empower people like Turkey to, uh, I say people, countries like Turkey, Libya, Algeria, um, whoever it is, and empower them economically and say, come on, let's set up trade. Let's, let's empower you to, to build up your own uh, wealth and, and allow you to stay at home and have a life a career in your own system, your own culture. And yes, we'd love to visit each other, um, but empowerment for you uh, allows you not, so it means you don't have to jump into rubber dinghies and, 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 and um, uh, you know, try and get across the Mediterranean, um, if that makes sense. So Turkey, for example, is a classic, absolute classic. Mm -hmm. The EU denies Turkey, act, denies Turkey membership so that's a slap in the, in the face for Turkey in the first instance, and they don't take it too kindly. Um, and they, meanwhile, they watch Latvia and Lithuania and all sorts of Croatia and so on, all becoming, all invited into the EU uh, where they've been left out. Um, uh, then we have the election of Erdogan, um, a nationalist and, and very aggressive leader. And so many of the Turks who live in Germany, as, a, as you know, there's a huge working population of Turks who live in Germany, um, they vote for Erdogan. And you think, my goodness, they're in the EU. They've got a proper job in a nice place to be, and yet they're voting for a nationalist or separatist, very independent chap in their own home country. And you think, well, that's interesting. They, they, are, they are still voting against the EU despite being inside it. And that's the point. The EU should have allowed them in. The Turkey should have allowed should have allowed Turkey in, but with conditions that they did. That, for example, no freedom of movement of labour. So they have to stay stay at home. But they but the trade uh, is opened up, uh, and there are um, liberalisation of various strictures and so on. So it's a communication is opened up, and Turkey becomes wealthier and gets less excited and less aggressive um, uh, about the EU, which basically has slapped it in, its, in the face. So there we are, net-net, primary enemy um, uh, versus, uh, and secondary enemy um, and, and how you deal with it. And, and the demographics of it. I mean, basically, the Western world is under a lot of, a lot of pressure. I'll get my coat. <laughs> I, I mean, this is all, you know, this is, this is decades and decades to, to go. Um, but uh, th there are some, some staggering statistics uh, about the, the, you know, the growth of, of various populations in the world. And um, as Hans Rosling pointed out in his very optimistic book, Factfulness, um, you know, the, the, these, the, these tectonic shifts don't have to lead to aggression and war. 
um, if they're properly handled. And But the first thing is to acknowledge it's happening rather than sitting around saying, God, you know, I hate Christine Lagarde or Lagarde or whatever, you know, and, and, and um, whoever your, your favorite um, bureaucrat at the moment to hate is, uh, that's, that's rather irrelevant. They'll come and go. Well, we, we're kind of getting ahead of things because the, 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 the media pick I have for this week is, is also a political blog. Um, and I think, I, to be fair, I have Sir Stephen Wilkinson to thank for this one because I think he sent me a link to this one. Um, so this is to, to sort of to segue effortlessly into that strand. Um, something we can put in the show notes, but it's Dominic Cummings' blog from October the 30th, not the 31st, but October the 30th, 2014. And it's an essay that I thought was outstanding called The Hollow Men 2, some reflections on Westminster and Whitehall dysfunction. But he touches on, on stuff that Tim, I think, has already alluded as well, which is we have quite high expectations for our politicians, um, but none of them have any of the skill sets, uh, experience or training to do the job that we've given them. So maybe it isn't a surprise that they're all crap because they were never going to be anything other than crap. Um, but it's it's a highly enlightening insight into how Whitehall works. And I'm a bit, just a bit too young to remember or to have appreciated um, Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister the first time around. But I'm strongly minded to go back and watch or rewatch the whole show, because I think if we were to watch it now, it would just come across as pure documentary and not at all, <laughs> not at all, not at all fanciful in any way. But the Dominic Cummings blog, The Hollow Men 2, is uh, interesting, enlightening, and terrifying in more or less equal measure. What's, uh, what have you got for our week, your weekly, Tim? What's, what are you going to be writing about this week? Or have so you the, one, the, the one that will be in the wild, it, well, it actually starts, funnily enough, with, with, with that as well. So uh, I'm just trying to think what I've called it. Serious advice, but this, the, the weekly for this week is basically a, a selection of highlights of the things that I've most enjoyed as inputs into my own process over the last 25 plus years so they are they are the things i would recommend people read instead of reading economics fantastic that sounds brilliant and has that dropped yet or is you gonna you, uh, it's, it's on the website but it'll it'll be it'll be released in the wild tomorrow morning fantastic fantastic um, I was hoping that you'd you'd actually seen the one of my media picks from a while back the the Spanish short film La Cabina. Because... Oh, I did, I did. Oh, I did. oh you did? Because I was, I, I was. Ho- oh, cool. Because I was hoping that you'd use it as a as a metaphor for not being able to leave the uh, you know the the Brexit I, process of being I, trapped. I may... So, Tim, have you have you seen this film by any chance? Sadly, not. But I'm rather excited now. I've written it down. La Cabina. Yeah. Paul, 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 do you want to give a, a pricey? Well, it's it's a it's a seventies Spanish film, and it is on YouTube and basically this... La, la, la Cabina. La Cabina. La Cabina, I think it's, it is. It just means the telephone box. And the story is this 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 guy goes in a telephone box. The telephone box is, is sort of delivered into the square and he goes in to make a telephone call. And it's what happens from there. I can't really say very much more, but it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a very... It's a, it, it's a very well-known film in spain that's for sure and it was influence an influence for charlie brooker who's the excellent writer of the black mirror series on netflix and so i i thought 
I thought Tim, after watching it, might have used it in in one of his weekly notes. It's it's uh, a it's... very uh, it's a very powerful metaphor, and I would say also for anyone that was raised or has any experience of the the theatre of the absurd, the likes of Pinter, Beckett, and so on, it's it's right it's right out of that uh, it's right out of that culture. Yeah, it's quite dark, quite dark and quite disturbing. Yeah, we've got we've got a, a telephone box, an old BT telephone box in the village here in Hambledon, um, uh, which is painted red, and it now has on the outside it says defibrillator. Oh, so it has a defibrillator on the side, uh, on the inside, oh, wow. to save anybody having a heart attack. I suppose I'm not quite sure how you get to the telephone box if you're having a heart attack, but I suppose somebody else could for you. But that, that's the idea. Yeah, it's a good you good use of a telephone box, don't you think? It is. Yeah, let's hope nobody nicks it. Maybe that's a metaphor for something. Yes, indeed. Indeed. So mission, what... mission creep at British Telecom, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> or we're, we're, it's going to be a cue for it as we all encounter the heart-stopping moment we're about to encounter. The um, the share price of British Telecom has not been doing too well recently, has it? Or, or um, Marks & Spencer, I, I seem to notice. And I wonder what that's all about. I mean, British Telecom, I, I'm thinking, um, with the advent of 5G, some people are saying that they think that that would be the end for broadband because it would just be so super fast. It's like the equivalent of our landline yep. phones would just stop using it. Um, so perhaps that that could that could be partly to do with it. But as we know, with technicals, you, you look at the price first and you find the reasons afterwards. So That's right. Like, yeah. That's right. But it's Post- def- definitely not doing well. That chart looks like Deutsche Bank, which is in, in itself terrible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, Marks and Sparks and BT have forever been dogs of the UK market, haven't they? Yeah. So it's just the rate that, that which they're going down. And as, as we said before, I mean, the the the, the FTSE, well, it, relatively speaking, compared to Europe, has been doing quite well. Um, now, not to say that it's not going to turn here, but it's been doing you relatively well. You would need to be a billionaire philanthropist to want to invest in retail stocks, though, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think that's probably right. But what's really interesting, Tim, about that, about retail stocks, is an anecdote for you. Um, in the US, Barnes & Noble, as you may remember, is, a, is what was a, a big um, bricks-and-mortar bookseller, obviously slaughtered by Amazon. Um, and they've been in terminal decline ever since, about to go bust. So everybody's favorite short. Suddenly, all the shorts get completely taken out. Uh, by private equity that comes in and pays vastly too much uh, in valuation terms for Barnes & Noble, take it private. And that's telling you that these private equity boys, and I, I know this, have roughly, I think it's $2 trillion in dry powder um, sitting around in the world uh, to invest. And so they're desperately trying to find anything they can hoover up with a little bit of liquidity so that they can, so they can put some of this dry powder to work. But again, it's another unintended consequence of too much money. Um, I've, um, I've, you know, got a, I've got a, I've got an old pack of Fisherman's Friends um, under the computer. It's it's only partly um, only partly eaten. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'd, I'd put a value of five hundred million on it if anyone's interested. <laughs> take, take this pack of Fisherman's Friends private. I think you'd need to be um, paid that to eat one. They're they're, they're pretty horrendous, aren't they? Well, they're, they're they're there for when you've got a cold or when yeah. you can't walk one off. So they've got medicinal qualities to them. But this this so chart five hundred five hundred million dollars or nearest offer. Well, maybe maybe they'll they'll jump in on something like Marks and Spencer's. But I can tell you, it surprised me if you look at the low the the absolute low point in two thousand and eight um, of you know of the market. Marks and Spencer's 
has matched that low. It's in fact, it's breaking that low. So there's something not right there at all. Um, so I don't know. I don't. I don't read the news, so I don't. I don't know whether that's already well documented. A new low is a new low. Isn't it? Yes, but it's relatively speaking. Um, if if it's undone all the gains and and uh, you know if we look at where interest rates are, it's uh, it's it's a big problem. I mean, I guess it's a new relative low. Yeah. Yeah, but it. But it's the in which in the environment that you're finding itself in it, at at the panic low of two thousand and eight two thousand and nine, you'd expect the markets to be making this sort of low, but there isn't any panic out there at the moment. So I'm wondering what's causing this. Is it maybe is, is it their finance arm? Is there something not right there, or, or what? What is it? Is I mean, Paul, we're, we're technical analysts. Do we care? I don't. I don't. I just find that I find it interesting. I find it. I find the reasons yeah. interesting, yeah. but they have no influence. Um, but it. But this. This to me comes back to the signals that we were talking about before. When you've got a high street name, a relatively stable name of 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 the high street that you you wouldn't necessarily buy. Well, I suppose you could buy certain Marks and Spencer type goods on Amazon, but you wouldn't really. Um, then if they're really struggling to the the point where the sh the share price has gone back to such panic lows of of a, a decade ago, then that's telling me that there's wider problems, and it's it's part of this putting the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together and trying to tie. Yeah, but, 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 but as we know, um, Paul, the market is not. The banks are collapsing. The market has not collapsed. Yeah, Marks and Spencers has collapsed, and that's probably a crap business model. Yeah, well, it could be because of their finance arm. You see, that, that's what I don't know really how much of their gains. Well, there we, were, there we are. It's a financial yeah. sector. It could, is, it could be. It's absolutely falling over. Absolutely right. Yeah, that, anyway, I would say um, when, when people run out of ideas, they they issue a credit card, and that's what's just happened to Apple. And so that that's why I find when when these retailers turn to, look, to, look, to GE, to, yeah. Yeah. Gee, I don't know if you've seen the share price of GE, but I mean that's been an absolute collapsed yeah. over the last, you know, five, three, three years. This has gone from I can't remember the price now, but it's 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 gone down by ninety percent. Typical bear market stuff. It's it's completely collapsed. Wow. Okay. And that's that was the bellwether of of US industry. Mm. But that doesn't mean the market has collapsed. No, indeed. Indeed. So um your media pick for this week. Tim, did you well, did you I, know about I, this? I, I, Tim very kindly just dropped me a line and said, "We do this media pick thing. Do 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 pick anything which you think is either admirable or awful. Yes, or can be both." And I thought, "Well, I'll choose something which is both." Ah, it's it's admirable because it's a very good uh, little performance at the Edinburgh Fringe um, called "The Top Burning," topical, and topical. it's all about witches. Um, and uh, it, it, it's essentially a historical and historical account of, um, you know, uh, from a female perspective of, of witches and, and their treatment and what it says about society, what it says about human nature and all that sort of thing. Um, and, and a very, very interesting account from that point of view, added with some very good music and some very good uh, humor too. Um, and I say the music is very good because it's composed by my daughter, who's also performing in it. And um, there's a four, there's a four girls involved. And it's called The Burning at the Pleasance Courtyard, I think, at the Edinburgh Fringe. And that's why this media pig is awful, because it's a it's an unalloyed, um, fatherly pride sort of thing. So I apologize for that. Will it be coming to London at some point? 
Um, I doubt it. I doubt it. It's it's a, a production by the Incognito Theatre. They had it on. At the, uh, we went to the preview at the Greenwich Theatre, and it was very, it was very, 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 very good. But it's only an hour. Uh, it's a it's a sort of a past. Not what would I call what would I call it? A sort of a, a non pastiche, but a, a small um, performance. Um, and I think they're hugely enjoying it. They're doing it for the for August. So the run goes on till the the, to the end of August. Um, and um, I'm not sure what happens next, but um, I, I'm, I, you know, Phoebe is new to the theatre, um, so um, she, she did, a bit, did, did a thing at RADA, and um, off she goes. So uh, I'm just giving her a little a little plug. Fantastic. Well, I think Dominic Frisbee should be up there, so perhaps we can, uh, if he's listening, maybe he'll yes, pop along I'm, to it. I'm going to, I'm going to the Money Week. Um, I'm, well, we'll, we'll be up there because I'm obviously visiting clients and, and, and seeing Phoebe at the same time. <laughs> and... <laughs> And uh, I'll be popping in to see uh, Merrin Somerset Webb and Dominic at the Money Week um, thing at the, um, the Panmure House. That'll be interesting just to hear what they have to say. Please, so I'll, please I'll send our best. Be going, I'll also be going up to see clients in the pubs of Edinburgh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or, or will you be happening to bump into them in the pubs? Oh, well, actually, <laughs> actually, Tim, I'm seeing Russell Napier in, in a coffee shop in George Street. Um, well, because I happen to be there, which would be rather nice. Well, well, I, I'm proud. I'm proud to announce that I will be with Russell Napier um, on the panel with Marion Somerset Webb on the 17th and 18th of August at Pamuel House at the Adam Smith um, discussions. Um, but I'm also planning to catch Dominic Frisbee's uh, Libertarian Love Songs on the Friday. Fantastic. As with, as with some colleagues, hoping to see Alistair Williams, uh, Jeff Norcott, and Simon Evans, who's been a previous guest on the show. And if my colleagues can get back to me to confirm, I'm also planning to see Titania McGrath on Saturday, the 17th. So there is a welter of, a welter of talent up there. You're, you're, you're a star of stage and screen, Tim. There's no doubt about it. It's gonna, I can't wait for the feedback, Tim, when you come back. That would be, that'd be absolutely brilliant. <laughs> absolutely brilliant. Well, mine for this week is, um, is the... I'm currently reading Rory Sutherland's book, The Alchemy alchemy the power of ideas that don't make sense i absolutely love it because i love things that uh that educate you that are not i mean one of the reasons why i use technicals is not because just because it works it's because it's a different thought process and markets require a different thought process and um as part of that he recommended a a youtube video um where you've got this guy called nicholas humphrey interviewing um, Richard Dawkins, or Richard Dawkins is interviewing him, and he's talking about the power of placebos and, and how they work. And it's one of those things that I find absolutely fascinating because you can have something that's, that works, but people can't explain it. And because they can't explain it, they, they think that it has no value. And it's, it's just, it's quite amazing how often this happens. Mm. Now, this ties into something else that I've seen, which is I recently watched a documentary about an anti-gravity machine and it's on the BBC if you happen to want to catch it. But as part of it, this this really smart engineer has created, um, and it sounds like I'm making this up, but I'm not. He's created an anti-gravity machine that works using microwaves and it effectively just pushes this object around using microwaves. Now, because the theoretical scientists can't explain it, they say it doesn't work. <laughs> and it's like it's like one of those things where you're just going... Hang on a minute. This works, right? We can see it working, but 
we can't explain it. And there's a difference between the two. Well, there's a difference between theory and application, exactly. Of of course. And so so what's amazing is they've just gone, yeah, we can't explain it. We've done a test and it shouldn't work, so therefore it doesn't. Whereas actually people from NASA have gone, hang on a minute, this, we don't care why it works or only that it does work. We can solve why it's worked in retrospect. Um, the fact that it does work, because for, the reason why this is important is because when you're in space, even if you've got something with a very small amount of thrust, because of the lack of gravity, you can accelerate an object to a massive speed using a very small amount of power. And this sort of anti-gravity machine could be used to power spaceships of the future um, so without needing rocket fuel or other types of fuel. So wow. so it's so it's really it's really fascinating stuff, but it's it's sort of when you look at lots of different areas and you sort of pull them all into one, it's 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 fascinating. But just to see how the power of the placebo, what what I there was a documentary about it that um, that I recommended a, a long while ago on the BBC. And what was fascinating about placebos is that they they actually have a physiological effect on your body. So it's not just that you think you're getting better; it's just that they actually really do make you better. There was yeah. a, there was an example of a guy who was cross country skiing, and they told him that he was given this pill that would make him, you know, better at it. And then they measured measured his oxygen levels, and they with the oxygen levels within his blood went up, which is kind of inexplicable because it's like creating something out of nothing. But his body managed to produce more oxygen somehow, just because it was being told that it could, and so. This is it's a really interesting video that Rory's recommended here and it's a very interesting um thought process that his whole point of his book is that you can change things with the power of your mind in 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 some ways you know it's how there's you a really there's a really interesting connection with, with that actually the power of the placebo Paul um this thing I mean I I mentioned it very briefly earlier about socionomics which is uh, I don't know if you come across it in the world of technical analysis yes um, so Elliot Wave and all that, and yeah. the guy Robert Prechter, who you will know, famous in the in the space. Yeah, who started, this, he started this thing on, on well, I say he started. He's, he's claimed that he started the thing on, on socionomics, which effectively is a very interesting thesis. And the basis of it in, in the elevator one sentence is that social mood leads to social action. And social mood is not emotion necessarily, because mood is something that is unconscious. Um, it's rather like it's a mental state, basically, but you unconsciously get there and you leave there and you're not quite sure why you are or you aren't in that state. And then you combine it with the herd-like, again, a mysterious, unknown um, factor of animal behavior in, 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 in social animals is herding behavior. You get the herding behavior, which is, which is not very well understood, um, combined with this mood. And the mood is what shifts things like economy or, you know, recessions. It's, it's what um, shifts the Fed. To, the Fed is reactive to the T-bill market in terms of interest rates. And interest rates in the T-bill market are influenced by the market. And the market is, 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 is driven by, by the mood. And the mood yes. is the herd doing one thing or another. And the herd is, is, it has this unconscious mood within it. So if you can identify mood and the waves of that going through society, uh, and it's expressed in popular culture with you know the the the, the best-selling records in any one time, maybe 
acid rock at, at a moment of market weakness, that sort of thing, or maybe something more pleasant at the top. Hemline. Um, you know what I mean? Yes, exactly. So, Headlines. So it's a, it's basically this this unknown or the, this, the mood leading rather than following. Whereas we all think the crash happens and everybody feels miserable. Well, actually, it's the fact that everybody's miserable that the crash happens. Yeah. Yes, exactly. No, it, it is it is absolutely fascinating. I have to say, I have something that is has fascinated me for many many years is is the more you. The more you look at technicals, the more you look at the structure of the market, the more there is to learn from it. And the whole decision-making process that is that we know is in the economic world is completely and utterly wrong. Um, and yet it, many of the people who are in power still continue to think that that's how you manage an economy that's how you manage economics they have no real understanding of how people make decisions and like you say because of that they're always just reacting so when your currency is weakening probably the best thing to do is to lower interest rates but of course that's that doesn't make any sense so they raise interest rates and that has a greater effect in pushing your currency down because it pushes your economy further into recession so that's right that's so, right so it's um It'd be so, really interesting to see where where sterling gets to Yes, yes. I, I, I wonder. I wonder how close we are to the low. That was something. I, I didn't want to put you on the spot, but I wondered whether you are you still well, looking for further downside, or do you think we're, we're going to get? Close? I think it's very. I think it's very. I mean, to me, it's it's relatively clear. I might be completely wrong, um, but as you know, the 85, 1985 low was was more or less parity against the dollar, um, and uh, we got the one we got to one. 20 on the Brexit exit or the Brexit vote, let's say, not the exit, apologies, the, the, the vote. Um, and we've been poddling around since then. It never collapsed thereafter, despite everybody thought it would. And now it is collapsing, or theoretically. I think this is the spike down, um, which will mark the low. It's a trend ending signal, which will mark the low, which may even get to parity and dip below just to spook the hell out of everybody. It'll be the, it'll be the, last, the last bit. And then it'll bounce really quite aggressively. So I would be reluctant to be short sterling. I mean, maybe short term, short sterling a little bit, but I'd be reluctant to be short it against the dollar uh, in, in any sense. And, and don't forget, this is also about dollar collapse, which will be coming along and Trump driven. But from a technical point of view, 120 uh, is the level. It's more, it, it could well be breached. And then, then, then par- well, 105 and then parity, which might well be, uh, uh, you know, the sort of the, the, the Brexit induced um, um, misery. Um, or at least the, the, the mood surrounding that, um, which, which will spike us down to parity. But thereafter, my goodness, I think it's fine. Yeah. You heard it here first. That's, uh, that's great. Tim, any, any final comments? Only that I'm going to be stockpiling the new Brexit 50p coins that are <laughs> shortly, to be, shortly to be minted. Well, <laughs> is, that, is that true? They're not? No. Chancellor plans 50p coins to mark UK leaving EU. It's, really? It's on, the B, it's on the BBC, so it must be true. Oh, Paul. so <laughs> did they actually put that up? I can't, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. No, 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 no. no. It must, I think originally Hammond tried, but he's a quizzling scumbag who is, we are glad to see the back of. Um, <laughs> but uh, not that we have any strong views on the matter. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, you've only used the F word once. How many are you allowed? Um, I don't know how many. What's our quota? Well, it's like once you've busted, it, it's like, you know, it's a binary well, okay, thing. Okay, we might as well drop a few C bombs in for good measure then. Well, hang on a minute. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm sure we've got a mature audience who've heard it all before. So it's up to you what it's, you say. It's, it's, it's the kids I'm worried about, Paul. Yeah, yeah. The kids. They are our future. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Oh, yes. Thank you, Tim, for that. Your book, Investing Through the Looking Glass. It's excellent, isn't it? I just dug it, dug it out to, to the head of this podcast to say thank you very much for that because you gave it to, or I, I think I bought it off you because we are obviously economic fellows. And, and in 2000, November 2016, and you very kindly inscribed it to my son, Oscar. You said, dear Oscar, um, what did you say? Something like, um, uh, live long and prosper. Um, <laughs> for, and, then, and then the next thing, because he's, he's a 16-year-old at that time. You said, live long and prosper. And then you, and then you said, um, for everybody's sake. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> that was 2016. So you were pretty bearish then. Fantastic, fantastic wow, you message. Change, you don't change your spots that often. Yeah, I know. Well, quite right. Good, good, good for you. It's to stick to your knitting. So, Tim so, Parker, yeah, so we're going to get, we're gonna, we're gonna get Javid coins. Chancellor Sajid Javid is drawing up plans for millions of commemorative 50p coins to be issued when the UK leaves the European Union later wow. this year. Wow! You know that's a, that's a, a ruse to shore up the balance sheet, the the government balance sheet. Well, whether they're 50p coins that look like one pound coins or not, well, we'll just have to see. Yes, indeed. So, Tim Parker, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Um, well, they can they can ring me up, uh, or they can. Um, well, how they, would how would they know where to find you? Uh, where to, well, what, what, how, what's the how, number on that? What's the number on that phone box, Tim? Yeah, uh, the number of that phone, <laughs> phone box is dot dot dash dot dot. No, what is it? Dot 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 dash 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 dot dot dot. SOS. Oh, the old the old inspector yeah, theme. Morse, Morse code. Yeah. No. So uh, my well my my uh, Twitter. I think you normally talk about Twitter handles. I've Whatever you want on Twitter, which I find absolutely fascinating and quite dizzying, lurid headlines everywhere and lots of shouting, but fantastic people there. Uh, my Twitter handle, I just my mother gave it to me. It's called cool. it's because she she likes to put me on my box. She said she's eighty six years old. I said to my mother, "What should I use as a Twitter handle?" And she says, "What's a Twitter handle?" So I sort of explained it to her, and she said, "Oh, I think how about um, how about Timmy Titmouse?" So that's my that's my uh, Twitter handle. At twi- Timmy Titmouse. See, Tim, um, Tim, Tim Price, you, yeah. that's why you couldn't get it because he'd got it. I, yeah. I knew there was yeah. a reason. Yeah. Um, there, there we are. There you I, go. Not, that I, not that I put much up. I think I might put, put a few more things on, but I have to think very hard before putting it. I'm unlike you, Tim. I'm not very. Um, sort you're, of not a, you're not a cheap. You're not a cheap tart that's all over the place like a cheap suit. <laughs> and you keep using this word, which I don't understand. C star star nt. I don't know what that. Or C star nt. I don't know what it no, is. No, Knut. Knut. Carney, the biggest Knut in the world? Question <laughs> mark. With with SA talking about King Knut. Just, just he's in not case a Knut. He's not a Knut. He's a loon. He, he is a gigantic Knut. He's also a loon. He's a loon. Yeah, which is the um the, yeah. So um. Uh, and then, how else would they contact me? I don't know. Send a send a rocket or or um, email address. And what do you want? What do you want from me? Uh, well, just I, nothing specifically. Just well, if you if you want if, my, if you, my firm is called Messels M E W S E L S. We're on uh, Messels dot com. My email address is Tim at Messels dot com. How there exciting is that? There you go. So that's how if people want to contact you that's how they do it fantastic well it just leaves me to say thank you very much for coming on the show it's been an absolute pleasure and thank you to tim price as always my co-host have a fantastic week and uh, we hope to have you on the show again brilliant i'm so, i apologize if i started ranting which i do from time to time as according to my wife so i'll, I'll try and um, curtail there's nothing, that there's nothing wrong with strong views forcefully expressed Tim. indeed indeed <laughs> indeed absolutely right Excellent. Well, thanks again. And uh, thank you. Thank you for everybody for listening. And 
all the comments. I particularly liked a comment from Jonathan Morrow on uh, YouTube who said, um, I'm rather surprised to find that the podcast with Sir Stephen was in excess of two hours. It doesn't feel a minute too long. Congratulations on resisting the urge to edit it down. Thank you, Jonathan. Really appreciate that. And all the comments on Twitter, which as always, we absolutely love. So thank you so much for that and for all the ratings that we're getting on um, Apple Podcasts and, and elsewhere. We really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. And we will be back soon. Thanks again, well, guys. See you. Well done, you see, too. See okay. you in Edinburgh. Yeah, see you there. Cheerio. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye now. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.